0: As we prepare to read God's written Word, let us ask His blessing. Our Father in heaven, we thank You for the glorious gospel of Your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank You for the revelation of Your glory, wisdom, power, holiness, truth, and mercy in Him. We humble ourselves before your majesty. We ask in Jesus' name for the blessing of your Holy Spirit. Speak, O Lord, and open our hearts that we might hear with ears of faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. We're continuing through the Gospel of Mark this morning. The reading begins in chapter 9 at verse 2. Let us hear the Word of God. It is written. And after six days, that is six days after Jesus revealed for the first time to His disciples that He would go to Jerusalem and be rejected and killed and rise on the third day, "'Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses.' And they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son, listen to him. And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come. And they did to him whatever they pleased as it is written of him. And with that concluding comment, Jesus was referring to John the Baptist who fulfilled the role of Elijah returned from heaven to prepare the way of the Lord. And now unto him who loves us, who frees us from our sins, to Jesus Christ be all praise, honor, and glory forever and ever. Amen. You remember the question which Jesus posed to his disciples in the immediately preceding passage. But who do you say that I am Jesus asked his disciples that question at the turning point in his ministry it is a question which Jesus asks us at the turning point of our lives but who do you say that I am Now the question is recorded in the immediately preceding passage at the conclusion of chapter 8 which was the basis for last Sunday's sermon. And today we need to see the connection between that passage in Mark 8 and the passage for today in chapter 9. We need to see the connection At that point in his ministry, Jesus began to teach his disciples, and he would repeat the teaching again and again, that he was the Christ of the cross. He would suffer and die. He was not only the glorious Son of Man to whom would be given an everlasting dominion, he was also the suffering servant prophesied by Isaiah. Chapter 53, despised and rejected by men, pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, smitten by God and afflicted. And therefore, those who follow him must follow him in his way, being willing to suffer with him and even lose their lives for him. And that is a calling give us pause. If that is what following Jesus is all about, we might really wonder whether it is really worth it. The apostles followed him unto literal martyrdom, physical death. Others throughout the centuries have done so. Others today are doing so around the world. We might be called to that someday. But as we also noted last Sunday, this call to cross-bearing discipleship, taking up your cross and losing your life for Jesus, does not necessarily always mean literal, physical martyrdom. It, It might mean that, but it isn't the only death that Jesus is talking about. Jesus is calling us today, you and me, To take up our cross daily, to die every day. Jesus calls us to die those little deaths by nailing our impulses and inclinations of selfishness and pride and me first self interest, nail it to the cross. Jesus calls us, you and me, to die every day loving one another as he has loved us, which means laying down our lives for one another, putting ourselves out in self sacrificial love for one another and humble service to one another. Jesus calls us to die those little deaths every day, even loving our enemies praying for those who persecute us, returning good for evil, doing unto others as we would have them do unto us even if it costs us greatly. All in Jesus' name and for his sake. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me and die every day. C.S. Lewis wrote this, die before you die, there is no chance after. Die before you die, there is no chance after. Jesus calls us to die every day for his sake so that his life can be seen in us. Jesus calls us to die every day for him so that his life can be seen in us. The call to follow Christ is, to, is the call to bear the cross. It may cause us to pause and wonder if it's really worth it, and Jesus understood that. And therefore, after he had called his disciples to take up their cross and follow him, And because Jesus knew what was going to take place in Jerusalem, and he knew what the disciples were going to go through and what they would witness there, for that reason, Jesus gave them a glimpse of the glory that is yet to be revealed. The glory on the other side of suffering for his sake, the glory beyond the cross. Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the inner circle of disciples, led them up a high mountain by themselves. You may remember that throughout the Bible, very significant events happen on mountains. For example, God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses on Mount Sinai and the old testament prophet elijah won a great victory over the idolatrous prophets of Beth- on mount carmel and on this occasion on this unnamed mountain a revelatory event took place jesus was transfigured before them transformed you know the greek word metamorphose he was metamorphosized before them. There on that mountain, the veil between time and eternity, the veil between heaven and earth was pulled away and the glory of the eternal Son of God was revealed. And Mark tells us, and remember now, Mark is Peter's penman. So this is Peter's eyewitness account. Mark tells us that Jesus' is. Clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. In the Gospel of Matthew, we are told that Jesus' face shone like the sun. The transfiguration revealed the glory of Christ, the glory which Jesus himself said that he had with the Father before the world existed. Think about that. Peter, James, and John were looking into the realm of eternity, seeing the glory of the Son of God which Jesus had shared with the Father before the creation of the world. Heaven's radiant light, the light of glory, was emanating from within Jesus. It wasn't as though it were a light shining upon him, it was emanating out from him as his whole body was filled with the glory of the presence of God. Throughout the Bible, the presence of the glory of the Lord is signified by light. Remember? And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, And the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid on the night Jesus was born. Glory to God in the highest. The transfiguration revealed the glory to which Jesus would return, into which he would enter after and only after he had endured the suffering, shame, and humiliation of death on a Roman cross. This transfiguration event was a visual revelation and confirmation that Jesus was and is the Christ, the Son of the Living God. The letter to the Hebrews in the New Testament, says that Jesus is, quote, the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Again, the radiance of the glory of God. That is exactly what the three disciples saw on that mountain. The transfiguration was a visual display of the truth about Jesus, which the Apostle Paul wrote in his letter to the Colossians. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. For in Him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. For in Him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Peter, James, and John saw this revealed before their very eyes. Now, even though John was there on the mountain, the gospel of John does not record this event of Jesus' transfiguration. Interesting. But the whole gospel of John is about the various ways in which Jesus revealed his glory. Listen again to that beautiful prologue to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, the opening verses. Most of you have heard this many times. It will be familiar, but think about it now. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. And dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, when the Apostle John wrote that, surely he had in mind the transfiguration of Jesus. And that's not all. Later in his life... When the Apostle John was in exile on the Isle of Patmos, he was surely reminded of the transfiguration after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension into heaven. John had his vision of heaven. The veil between heaven and earth was pulled back. John saw Jesus Christ in his heavenly glory, and so he wrote in the book of the Revelation, quote, His face was like the sun shining in full strength. Here's the point. What John saw when Jesus was transfigured on that mountain was exactly the same as what he saw when he saw Jesus in his resurrected heavenly glory. And then there's Peter's testimony given in his second letter. Listen to this. We, the apostles, did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, the voice of God the Father, saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice, born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. There it is. Peter's hand now in his second letter making reference to his eyewitness of the transfiguration. He saw the glory of Christ. And Peter's words assure us that the gospel of Jesus Christ, who Jesus is, what Jesus did, is not myth or legend, but is based on real-time historical events for which there were multiple and reliable eyewitnesses, eyewitnesses who were ready and willing to suffer and to die and who did in fact die for Jesus, because of what they had seen and heard. Peter, James, and John saw Jesus in his transfigured glory, and it was that vision of the Christ of glory, in addition to Jesus' bodily appearances after his resurrection, which gave them the courage to suffer and to die for Jesus. The revelation of Christ's heavenly glory is not the only thing that took place on that mountain. Moses, who had died, let us say, in round figures approximately 1,300 years before, and Elijah, who had been taken up to heaven in a chariot of fire approximately 800 years before, Moses and Elijah appeared talking with Jesus. Now, but think about this. What's going on here? Who was Moses. Moses was the Old Testament representative of the law of God, who was Elijah. He was the representative of the Old Testament prophets. Jesus himself referred to the Old Testament Scripture as, quote, the law and the prophets. So there on that mountain were the representatives of God's revelation to Old Covenant Israel. They were together with Jesus And Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of the law and the prophets, the one of whom the law and the prophets speak, the one to whom the law and the prophets point. Jesus is the perfect, complete, supreme, final word of God. And once again, Peter spoke up in a blundering way because, as Mark tells us, they were terrified. Rabbi, it's good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one new, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Peter was probably thinking of tents in which Elijah, Moses, and Jesus would meet with God just as God had met with Moses in the tent of meeting the tabernacle in the wilderness. But Peter was silenced when a cloud overshadowed them. Now, this was not simply a climatological atmospheric cloud. This this does not indicate a change in the weather. <laughs> it was the cloud of God's presence, the cloud of glory, the cloud in which God would descend upon the tabernacle and in the temple to make His presence known. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. Listen to Him. Think about it. There on that mountain, the voice from heaven again answered the question. Remember the question that's running all the way through the gospel of Mark? It's that question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Now we hear the answer to that question. From heaven God, the holy One domestic glory, has spoken from heaven. This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. Moses and Elijah were gone. Remember, Moses and Elijah represented the law and prophets of the old covenant. They represented the Word of God. And in this moment now, Jesus was revealed as superior to them both, the perfect fulfillment of all that they represented. Jesus is the fullness of the revelation of God. Jesus is the embodiment of the living Word of God. That is the reason that God the Father commands us to listen to Him. Listen to Him. Look nowhere else, listen to no other authority, listen to Him. And God the Father, because He loves us, commands us to listen to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Listen to Him means trust His Word and obey His Word. Listen to Him. In biblical terms, if we're not obeying, we're not listening. This matters. It mattered to the first disciples. It matters to us. Remember, Jesus had recently told his disciples that he would be rejected, that he would suffer and die. Jesus called them, Jesus calls us to take up the cross and follow him in his way, even his way of suffering and death. The question is, is it worth it? The Transfiguration gave the disciples a glimpse of the glory yet to be revealed. It is a vision of glory for all those who listen to Jesus and follow in obedience to His Word. The Transfiguration showed the disciples that Jesus' sufferings and death would not result in meaningless tragedy, He would be raised out of His sufferings into glory. And his sufferings would bring those who follow him into glory. Now, the apostle Paul had seen the glory of Jesus when Jesus appeared to him from heaven. As Paul, then Saul of Tarsus, was on the way to Damascus. You may recall that when Saul of Tarsus actually saw, what he actually saw was a blazing light. The light of Christ's glory And later he would write to the church in Rome, the same church for which Mark originally wrote this gospel. Paul wrote, we are co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That is exactly what Jesus told his disciples. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me, and die. And he who loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. In his second letter to the Corinthians, Paul wrote that, quote, this light momentary affliction, suffering for Christ, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Paul wrote to the Philippians that when Jesus comes in power and glory, he will, quote, transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Resurrection life, forever lasting life. And remember, brothers and sisters, remember elsewhere. Paul tells us that in a vision, he had been lifted up into heaven and had seen things that were so glorious that they could not be expressed in human words. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what has never been conceived in the mind of man is promised to those who love God. The apostles were unique in their role. They had these supernatural experiences in order to confirm their faith so that they might transmit their eyewitness experience to us in the scriptures in order to confirm us in our faith, so that we too might be assured that there is a glory yet to be revealed to all those who deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow Jesus unto death. Listen, you don't need You know, one of these popular books about life after death or visions of heaven or near death experience. You don't need that. You just don't need it. You got it. Here it is. Here it is. They've seen it. That's the apostolic witness that there is another realm. It's beyond our imagining, it's full of glory. And those who take up their cross and follow Christ will enter into it. So you see, when Jesus calls us to take up our cross daily, die those little deaths, and follow him and lose our lives for his sake, he is calling us to share in his glory When Jesus calls us to deny ourselves and live self-sacrificial lives in his His service and to suffer for his sake, to lay down our lives for one another, even to do good to our enemies, to persevere through persecution and be faithful unto death, he is calling us to share in his glory. Why does the New Testament say such strange and bold things as we rejoice in our sufferings? Romans 5.3. Why does the New Testament tell us to, con, to consider it all joy when we face fiery trials? James 1.2. The answer is this. For those who deny themselves, take up their cross, lose their lives for Jesus' sake in one way or another, there is eternal glory beyond the cross on the other side of suffering, on the other side of death. There is a glory yet to be revealed who follow Jesus Christ in his way. Never be deceived into believing that this world is all there is. Never. Never become so distracted by the dazzling allurements of this world Ah, that you lose sight of the unspeakable glory which awaits those who follow Christ never become so discouraged or fearful that you would turn away and walk away from Jesus. When you are afraid, burdened, tired, grieving, when you are despised and rejected by men, ostracized and shamed by this world, Fix your eyes on Jesus who suffered the cross to bring you to glory. Follow Jesus Christ in the assurance that the way of the cross is the way and the only way to glory. Listen to Him. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word of truth and life in Your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray for the working of Your Holy Spirit in the depths of our souls to renew our minds and to transform our lives, conforming us more nearly into the likeness of His Son. May we count it a joy that we have been called not only to believe in him, but to suffer for his sake and share in his eternal glory. Amen. In response... To the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm our faith, the faith of the one church of Jesus Christ throughout the history of the world as we say together the Apostles' Creed. Christian, in whom do you believe? I believe in God, Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, It was conceived how the Holy Born of the Virgin Mary suffered under Christ Pilate, was crucified dead and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints.